Go button. And today, I thought I'd talk a little bit about what it means to be made in the image of God. And I really love always to go right back to Genesis 1, just to remind myself of who I really am. I'm someone who's made in the image of God. And the key scripture for today, and this is the only scripture I've got actually, I haven't got any other scriptures for the remainder of my sermon because it's all based on the notion that we're made in the image and likeness of God. We see in Genesis 1, verses 26 to 27, this is the record. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And that particular version that I've used there is the New King James version of the Bible. It reads a little bit funny because it switches from singular to plural there. But really what it's about is God made men and women in his image. And indeed, he made all men and women in his image. It doesn't actually make any difference whether or not we have chosen to become followers of Jesus Christ. All men and women are made in God's image. And in that sense, there is an equality between men and women and even between those who are Christians and those who aren't because everybody was made in his image. So what I want to focus on today is at least one perspective of what it means to be made in God's image. But before we move on to that, one misconception we must clear up is that being made in God's image doesn't mean we're a copy of God. It doesn't mean we are God. It doesn't even mean that we are a God. And yes, God must have a goofy sense of humour. If um, people like us are literally made in his image, he must have a significant sense of humour. But uh, we, mustn't, we mustn't fall into the trap of believing that although we have God-like characteristics, that we are indeed God's because we are not. So what I want to move on to talk about is what theologians actually call the anthropological understanding of what it means to be made in the image of God. And you can pick up uh, books written by theologians, you can go online and you can find a whole range of thinking of what it means to be made in the image of God. But what I want to focus on today is something really practical that we can get our, our minds around, that we can grasp pretty easily that we can actually put into practice in our thinking and in the way in which we deal with the people around us and which is entirely supported biblically because as I run through these four major characteristics of what it means to be made in the image of God, you will understand perfectly, I think, that these are indeed God-like characteristics. So as people made in God's image, we are creative, relational, purposeful, and moral beings. We have those 
four characteristics and we hold those characteristics in common with every man and woman who has ever walked the face of the earth or who will ever walk the face of the earth. So first let me focus on the fact that being made in God's image means that we are creative beings. In other words, we think. Everyone has the capacity to think. In fact, actually before we do anything, we think about it and usually we form an image in our mind. So before I went to Newcastle last week to visit my mum and dad, I had an image in my mind of the route I was going to take. Now if I didn't have that image in my mind, if I wasn't able to, to create that image, I wouldn't have actually been able to drive my car to my mum and dad's house down at Blackhalls Park near Newcastle. But each one of us has a different way of expressing our creative capacities. Everybody has a creative capacity. Now, I'm not someone who can play a musical instrument. I can't create works of art. I can't draw. I can't draw to save myself. Um, as a family, we sometimes play that game drawful. And uh, my drawings are truly awful. So I fit the, the category drawful, there's no doubt about that. So I've never been able to paint. And I remember when I was a kid in primary school, we were taught how to paint human beings. And you're supposed to draw all these sausages and connect them together. And hey presto, what you had on the piece of paper ended up looking like a human being. Mine never did. Mine always looked just like sausages joined together. And I remember in junior high school, everybody had to do art classes. I think it was just two hours a week. I was hopeless at it. But actually that doesn't mean that I'm not a creative person. Because in fact, putting this sermon together was a creative act. Because God has given me the ability to, to read what's in His Word, to understand what's in His Word, or at least to come to a degree of understanding about what's in His Word, to have a look at what theologians have said, and to be able to distill that down so that all of us can understand what God is speaking to us through His Word. So I can't draw, but I can process a range of information, and I can then put it together in a package that a lot of people can understand. That's a creative act. I know my daughter Ainsley, from about age six or seven, showed clearly that God had gifted her creatively to work with, with children. And when I see what Ainsley and Jeanette and others do in childcare, I'm just boggled. I, I don't know how I could possibly spend a full day with children and keep them occupied with play that is designed to help them learn because I'm not creative in that way. But I can remember Ainsley came home from school one day in tears because the careers guidance officer at her school had said, what do you want to do education for? You're too smart for that. Yet Ainsley knew and we knew for sure that God had gifted her in this area with a creative capacity that a lot of other people don't have. 
And I remember saying to her, don't worry about that. You know, just aim to get HDs in everything you study at university in an education degree. And as it turned out, um, Ainsley graduated with a degree in early childhood education and she's now director of a child care centre. And I, I see what my wife Jeanette does with, with children. I see the materials that she collects. I see the way in which she designs play which is specifically intended to lead young people into learning. That's a creative act. My son-in-law, both my sons-in-law actually are engineers. Again, a highly creative occupation because they deal with finding solutions to problems on a daily basis. That's a highly creative act. And, and I could run through everybody in my family, I could run through everybody I know, and I can explain to you what their creative capacities are. As a parent, one of my jobs was to help my own children discover, deploy and develop their creative capacities. And I think that's the responsibility that we have as managers. It's a responsibility that we would have as educators if that's our field of endeavour. We should always be looking for the creative spark in people because that's part of the image of God. And we should help people discover their creative capacities to the extent that we're able to, we should give them opportunity to deploy their creative capacities and we should do all we can to assist them to develop their creative capacities. There's no one on this planet who doesn't have a creative capacity because they were created themselves by a God who is creative. So we all have the ability to think and that is the foundation of creativity. Let me move on now and talk about the relational aspect of the image of God. We were born to be fulfilled in the context of community. And everybody I think here would, would understand that the basic building block of any community is the family. And then it builds out from there to the local neighbourhood and then to the the wider community in the village or the town or, or even the nation. These days, of course, the local neighbourhood rarely functions as a true community because we hardly ever see our neighbours. And I know people of my age often think back fondly on their childhood when every house in their street had an open door to every kid in the street. And when the children from all of the families in the street used to often get, get together. In our case, there was a spare block of land in our street and we used to ride go-karts and play ball games and do all sorts of things in that um, spare block of land. And a couple of the dads used to take turns to mow that block. That was a local community. Where we currently live, there really is no sense of local community. I actually think the workplace now has taken over largely the, 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 the role of the local community. And that's why uh, business is so important in our contemporary context. The point about being relational is that we have feelings. And when relationship doesn't work, our feelings are hurt. When relationships are healthy, when they're functional relationships, be that in the workplace or in the home, or in the broader community, the neighbourhood and so on, 
we feel good. And not only have we the capacity to build relationships with one another, we have the capacity to relate to all of God's creation. And I know, I, I have a sense of joy either in the built environment or the natural environment. I don't run anymore, but when I used to run, I used to marvel at everything I could see around me in the built environment because it spoke to me of the creative capacity that God had placed in humanity when he created Adam and Eve right back there as recorded in Genesis chapter 1. And when I'm in the natural environment, I feel good as well because again I see this evidence of the mind of God, the creative mind of God that worked to build such a beautiful environment. When I'm in the bush, I, I love being in the bush. When I'm by the sea, I love being by the sea because I'm able to relate to all that God created. And so too can all of us. And often we feel a sense of peace when we're in the natural environment. This is not good English, but I believe that we need meaningful, functional relationships in order to be what I call fully fulfilled as human beings. Uh, one of the poets uh, penned that, that phrase, no man is an island. That was John Donne, a Christian poet. No man is an island. And uh, Joan Baez, folk singer from, from my sort of generation, she sang a song with the same line in it. So we're creative and we are relational beings. That's part of us being created in the image of God. We're also purposeful beings. In other words, most of the time, when we act, we have an end in mind. That is, what we do is purposeful. And in fact, we know that if people lose their purpose, they will often die. And that's why if people retire from work and suddenly have no purpose in their life, it is quite likely that they'll be dead within five or seven years. The worst thing anyone can do upon retirement is to sit with their feet up and watch television. It's likely to kill them early rather than contribute positively to their longevity. So the fact that we have purpose actually means we have a, a will. That is, we can determine that we're going to do something. So we have a purpose for establishing Ignite Life Church. We want to become part of the larger Ignite Life group of uh, churches based in Victoria because we believe that this is a church that God can use to encourage people in their Christian walk. Uh, we've decided right from the start, we've designed this, this church as what we call an invitational church. We want people to feel that they have an invitation to join us in a relational community, but it's not full of obligations. And that's consistent with the idea that New Testament Christians are living under the grace of God and not under law. So we don't want to build our church around a list of do's and don'ts or thou shalt and thou shalt nots. We want it to be invitational so that people can build a relationship in turn with Jesus Christ. Now, one thing that I think is really important to understand in the context of us being purposeful beings is that that actually means that God 
has given us a prophetic capacity. Who knows that God is prophetic. If you, if you read His Word, if you look at the meta-narrative of the Bible, you will see it is a prophetic meta-narrative. It starts with creation, then there is the fall, and then there is this long, long process of redemption through the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus Christ, and then there is the full consummation of the kingdom of God at the end of what you might call human history, when Jesus comes again. So God set that up right at the beginning. In fact, you can find in Genesis references to Jesus coming as Lord and Saviour. So God himself is a prophetic being. In fact, if you go back to Genesis, how did creation come about? Because God spoke prophetically. And we have exactly the same capacity. I believe we can speak our experience of life into being. We can speak our experience of life as a positive or a negative thing. We get that choice every day. I believe that we have the choice to choose life or to choose death over every situation that we find ourselves in. And that's because we're prophetic. So our words, if they don't actually frame our world, they definitely frame our experience of the world. And that's because God is prophetic, we're created in His image, so too we are prophetic, or if you like, purposeful. If you want the big theological word, it's teleological. In other words, we're motivated in terms of what we do today by an end. And I believe that we should make the end clear to people, say in the context of church or in the context of our, our work, because that brings meaning to what people are doing. And I would um, always you know, urge people, think about your purpose. Think about your purpose, because that will enable you to get out of bed on those days that you don't want to get out of bed. I believe God has a purpose for every individual. It is possible, as you build your relationship with God through Jesus, to discern what is God's specific purpose for your life. I believe the specific purpose for which God has called me at this time is actually to teach everybody who wants to listen about missional business. And one of the purposes of this church is to reach out to Christians in business and to build them up in the context of where they fit in terms of the ever-unfolding kingdom of God here on earth. So we're purposeful beings, we're creative beings, we're relational beings, and we are purposeful or prophetic beings. We think, we feel, and we will. The fourth aspect of being made in the image of God is that we are moral beings. Now, Many, many people, as soon as they hear the expression, we are moral beings, think, oh, that means we're supposed to do everything right. But no, I would use the term ethical beings if I thought we were doing everything right. We're moral beings because we have been given the capacity to make choices. We don't always make the right choice. So sometimes our behaviour is not ethical. 
Do you understand the difference? So ethical behaviour is behaviour that lines up with some moral code, for example, that which is presented to us in the Word of God. But the key to being a moral being is that God has actually given us choice. God gave Adam and Eve choice, and we know they made one bad choice. They might have made a few others we don't know about. They made one bad choice because they made a consensus decision to eat of the fruit of the tree that God had forbidden them to, to eat of. But he gave them the freedom to choose. So too we have the freedom to choose. Jesus never ever forced anybody to follow him. He issued an invitation. He said, follow me. It wasn't an order. It was an invitation. So we have the choice to follow Jesus and through a relationship with Jesus to have a relationship with God. It's our free choice. And we get to make choices all the time. From the moment we wake in the morning, we get to choose how we're going to react to every word and deed that we experience this day. We get to choose over the larger uh, moral issues as well. We face choice every day. God did not create us as pre-programmed beings. We're not robots. We're human beings. And God, because he loved us, gave us the capacity to make choices. In fact, because God is love, it really demanded that he create us with the capacity to choose. If he loves us, he has to make it possible for us to choose not to love him. Otherwise, he wouldn't love us at all. So, these are the, if you like, anthropological aspects of being created in the image of God. I think it makes a huge difference to how we relate to other people if we see them as people who were made by God with creative capacities, with relational needs, with a deep, deep need to have purpose in their lives and as moral beings. In other words, if we see other people as people who think, who feel, who will and who choose... That changes the way in which we deal with people. I think it makes a huge difference in things like the way in which workplaces are designed. In fact, I don't think many workplaces are designed with the image of God in mind. We've, my background, of course, is, is in business. I think we've got a fairly well-developed theology of work now. There's a developing theology of business, but in between, there's a missing theology of the workplace. And I, one of the things I want to do in the remainder of my life is to convince people that we need to apply a theology of the workplace that recognises that people in the context of work are creative and that one of our responsibilities in business is to help people discover their creative capacities because a lot of people don't know the areas in which they're creative. We need to give people opportunities to deploy their creative capacities in their workplace. So we need to look at position descriptions as a fairly flexible thing. 
we need to give people the opportunity to develop their creative capacities in the context of work. We need, I think, to understand that the workplace is a kind of community now. And I, I've got books written by theologians who dispute that idea. But when I look around, I see so many dysfunctional family communities. I see the absence of a local neighbourhood community. For many, many people, the closest thing they'll ever, ever experience to a functional community is their workplace. So I think business has a responsibility here to build workplaces that make relationships, good, healthy relationships possible. It's also in the area of, um, of having purpose, one of the reasons why I always advocate that you should include your employees as much as possible in the decision-making process is not the ultimate decision, which um, must be made by the owner or, or the senior managers, but we should harvest as much information and as much input as we possibly can from those around us in the workplace because then they begin to understand what is the purpose for them actually being at work. For so many people, they see their purpose is to earn the income that they need to pay the bills and to dull the pain of work by spending money on having a good time at the weekend. And then as far as developing our moral capacities are concerned, in our workplace we should push decision making down as far as we possibly can so that people get experience at making choices. And they'll muck it up sometimes, and that's okay because they go through a process of growth or, in more theological terms, a process of formation. So there you have it. At least one way of approaching this idea of what it means to be made in the image of God is that every single one of us carries these, these four characteristics. We're creative, we're relational, we're purposeful or prophetic, and we are moral beings. And I would challenge you in this coming week, see what a difference it makes to the way you think about people, the way you relate to people, the way you deal with people, if you actually see them as carrying these four aspects of the image of God. So that, that's all I have to, to share this morning. Um, it's been a great opportunity to do so, and I think we're actually going to finish off our service with another song, another worship song, and then an opportunity to pray.